if somebody says, well, I, I want to do an elk hunt. Well, we say, okay, well, um, have, you, have you hunted elk before? Uh, did you have a particular destination in mind? Did, do, you know, do you have any preference points if you do have any, uh, maybe a western state in mind? Are you thinking a rifle hunt, an archery hunt, a muzzleloader hunt? Are you thinking early season, mid-season, late season? Private land ranch hunt, public land wilderness hunt? You know, if you want to risk $2,500 on a Wyoming antelope hunt or maybe $3,500 on a Missouri whitetail hunt, uh, that's one thing. But when you're talking $20,000, $30,000 or more for an Alaska bear hunt or Yukon moose hunt or an African safari, to me now, that is, that's a huge amount of money to be essentially rolling the dice in, in booking a trip with an outfitter that you either don't know yourself or um, don't know someone whose opinion you value and trust. to the RNA Outdoors podcast hosted by Lucas Paw. Our purpose is to help educate and inspire within you a renowned passion for the outdoors. So join us as we speak with experts in the industry to share insight and knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful. Welcome, listeners, and happy 2021. Hey, it's Lucas Paw, and you are listening to the RNA Outdoors podcast, where our concept is keep the outdoors simple. So excited to bring you all a, a new episode today and thought we would do just a little bit of a theme song here related to the times, a little Led Zeppelin uh, when the levee breaks. So speaking of levees, we've got uh, no shortage of uh, rainfall here in California, which has really been a blessing. Um, Some are equating it to the Pineapple Express storm uh, moving through the Central Coast right now, and we're literally getting inches of rain. Uh, And that's right, inches of rain, which is a big deal for us here, uh, but also uh, snow in the Sierras as well. So which is very important. So again, a much needed rain uh, and uh, just blessed that uh, we're getting that right now. So um, what I do want to do is talk a little bit about the show that we have today. I'm really excited and encouraged um, to uh, meet with some friends of mine over at Hunt Nation. I've got um, Don Sangster, who is going to uh, introduce himself here, but his actual title uh, is an adventure consultant. Uh, a little bit about Hunt Nation. Um, they've been in operation over 20 years. Some of you may see emails that come out from them, uh, which uh, typically come out weekly. They represent over uh, 300 uh, different outfitters worldwide, uh, which is pretty interesting. And they book basically, or a booking agency that books hunts, uh, both for fishing uh, and hunting adventures uh, all over the world. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Don Sangster to the RNA Outdoors podcast. Welcome, Don. 
Thanks, Lucas. Glad to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So maybe what we could do, um, Don, maybe um, just talk a little bit about yourself uh, and then maybe uh, talk a little bit about Hunt Nation and kind of what your guys' purpose and what you guys do. Sure. Thanks. Uh, So I've been, uh, I've worn a number of different hats in the outdoors industry for uh, over two decades now. I've uh, I've been an outdoor writer for for over 20 years. I've written for a number of, uh, I've written for pretty much every uh, major publication in Canada where, where I live, as well as a, uh, a few down in the state sports afield, uh, Bass Pro Shops website. I did a, uh, did a weekly uh, column for the, for the Bass Pro Shops website for a couple of years. I've also been involved in sales, uh, sales repping, distributing, et cetera, different outdoors product lines. So I've, I've worn a number of hats in the outdoors industry, but without uh, sort of realizing it, I guess, uh, all of it was kind of leading up to what I do now at, at Hunt Nation because uh, I, I just, <laughs> frankly, I found that anything that, that took me too far from, you know, actual actual hunting wasn't really where my passion uh, lay. And uh, so when I was asked to join Hunt Nation a number of years ago, it was uh, it was a really good fit. And uh, I enjoy I enjoy very much what I do because uh, I guess the biggest thing we do is we help we help people, we help folks. And uh, that's that's always a good thing. Uh, basically, what we do, uh, as you said, we've been in business over 20 years. We started in Wyoming, and uh, that's where our roots are in Cheyenne, Wyoming. We still have an office there, but since then, we've expanded. We now have offices in Florida, Missouri, and then uh, a few years ago, we opened an office up here in Canada, where where I am. And these offices are staffed by full time agents. This is you know this is what we do for a living. This isn't a hobby or a sideline. This, this is what we do. And uh, as you also said, we work with about 300 plus outfitters around the world. Um, and it's not just hunting, despite our name, we do fishing as well. And, and essentially, uh, you know, you, you initially referred to, a, referred to me as an adventure consultant. And, and that's actually kind of the term we prefer. Uh, sort of the industry uh, more commonly says booking agent. But to me, that denotes more of somebody who just answers the phone and takes a booking from a client. And, and we do far more than that. Uh, you know, to give you an example, if somebody says, well, I, I want to do an elk hunt. Well, we say, okay, well, um, have, you, have you hunted elk before? Uh, did you have a particular destination in mind? Did, did, you know, do you have any preference points if you do have any, uh, maybe a western state in mind? Are you thinking a rifle hunt, an archery hunt, a muzzleloader hunt? Are you thinking early season, mid-season, late season, private land ranch hunt, public land wilderness hunt? Uh, do you have any physical limitations that might uh, might come into play? Can you ride a horse? Uh, you know, what, what, are, what are your realistic trophy expectations for such a hunt? And then a lot of cases, a real big factor is what's your budget? So we, we really do work, work with the client to try to understand exactly what it is they're looking for. And then we try and match that up with, with something that we offer through the various outfitters that we work with. So we really, we really do try and sort of matchmake in that regard to, to find the right fit. And, you know, we, we completely understand that not every trip is right for everybody. But, you know, we've built a pretty good reputation over 20 plus years in the industry of telling it like it is. And 
and we, we do tell it like it is because the reality is when you work with as many different good outfitters as we do, offering literally thousands of different trips between them, although not every trip is right for everybody, we're pretty sure we've got something to offer just about everybody. So there's no need to embellish or fluff up a, a trip or, or sugarcoat the realities if, you know, this is a tough physical hunt. If you're not 9 or 10 out of 10 on the fitness scale, this is not the hunt for you. We'll, we'll tell it like it is and let people decide for themselves whether that's what they're, they're looking for or not. And that's essentially what, what we do in a nutshell is, is we, we help people find the right trip. And, you know, some people say, well, I can do that myself. Why, why do I need you to do that for me? And I think it boils down to three things. Uh, I think we can save you time. I think we can save you some worry. And in some cases, we can save you some money even. When it comes to saving time, you know, that's the one thing that you can't buy and that is always in short supply. And, you know, I mentioned that elk, that elk hunting example, but... Take, take another approach. Maybe you decide you want to do a, a, a safari in South Africa and you start Googling South African safaris. Try doing that sometime and see the overwhelming flood of, of hits that you'll receive when you Google something like that. And it's, 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 it's intimidating. Where would you start to try and start figuring out where, you know, the research? And, and that's, that's really what it boils down to is, hours, days, weeks, maybe months of research required to try and figure out, you know, what, what's out there, what am I looking for, what's available. And most of us don't have that kind of that time or maybe we have the time, but we just don't have the inclination. We'd rather spend that time with family or out in the field or maybe we're busy at work, whatever the case may be. So we really save you time. The second thing we save you is worry. And what do I mean by worry? Well, the, you know, I don't think the outdoors industry, the outfitting industry is really any different from any other industry in the sense that um, the overwhelming majority of outfitters are very good. They're very good at what they do. But there are always a few bad apples that, that need to be avoided. And even if it's not sort of, you know, sort of disingenuous outfitters, it, it's just a matter of making sure you're getting what you expected, what you wanted, what you were looking for, what was advertised. And that's not always the case if, if clients and outfitters aren't necessarily on the same page when it comes to asking the right questions. And, uh, you know, I, I, was a, I was a fan of booking agents long before I became one. In fact, I was a client of this firm before I came to work at Hunt Nation. And I, I've long felt that you know, if you want to risk $2,500 on a Wyoming antelope hunt or maybe $3,500 on a Missouri whitetail hunt, uh, that's one thing. But when you're talking $20,000, $30,000 or more for an Alaska bear hunt or Yukon moose hunt or an African safari, to me now, that is, that's a huge amount of money to be essentially rolling the dice in, in booking a trip with an outfitter that you either don't know yourself or um, don't know someone whose opinion you value and trust 
who knows the outfitter, has hunted with the outfitter, etc. I, I think you, you're taking an unnecessary risk, in, in my opinion. And that's why I always felt that for a trip of that magnitude, I wasn't going to, to do it on my own. And in fact, I didn't. The first two big trips I did abroad, I booked through a booking agent because I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't, um, that I was getting what I was looking to get, essentially. And, uh, you know, I've never looked back. I've always, I've always been, been a, a fan of that, you know, and some people say, well, well, that's why I go to the trade shows. That's why I go to the sports shows, the SCI, Dallas Safari club shows like that. Well, COVID has prevented that from happening recently anyway, but aside from that, you know, to that, I say, well, yes, I hear you, <laughs> but, um, I think if somebody is is trying to sort of pull a pull the wool over your eyes in some regard, then talking to them at a show and looking them in the eye and asking them questions. Well, let's put it this way: I guess I guess I, I I'm probably not a good enough judge of character to be able to see through that. If somebody was trying to hoodwink me, I'd probably fall for it because the reality is those folks know the questions you're going to ask before you even ask them and they know what answers you want to hear. And to me, that that's, that's not sufficient for, for my peace of mind. So that's the, that's the save the worry because we've basically done that leg work for you already. We, you know, we vetted all these outfitters before we ever brought them on. We've worked with many of them for many, many years, sent many clients to them over the years. We've also personally hunted with many of them. Granted, with 300 plus around the world, it's hard to get to them all, but we've been to a lot of them and we continue to do it every year. Each of, each of us in the office, we, we go and visit a number of these outfitters, um, particularly new ones uh, or ones that we haven't yet been to or haven't been to in some time. You know, those we try to prioritize to, to visit uh, soon. Uh, sometimes we will insist on visiting one first before we even bring them on board. You know, we'll, we'll do an inspection trip with them before we've, uh, before we're prepared to offer it to our clients. But it, it boils down to, you know, there's just no substitute for been there, done that. You know, that when you're talking to a client to be able to tell them exactly what it's like, what they can expect. When they hear that you've been there yourself and you've done that trip, it's like, oh, really? You, you, yeah, of course. I mean, when that all, we all want to feel that level of comfort. And, and uh, so we really, really do try to, to visit as many of them as possible to give that sort of personal level of, of knowledge and attention. Uh, so that's the, that's the save the worry part of it. And the third is the save the money. And, and that's not always true. We, we can't always save you money, but we can sometimes. Um, and that comes in the form of, um, well, first of all, I should make it clear that, you know, we, it doesn't cost you any extra to use our services. So uh, while we may not always be able to save you money, it also doesn't cost you any money because it, we, we don't charge, you know, some, some agents in the industry may um, charge a fee or may charge like an annual membership or, or something like that, or a one-time membership. We don't do that. It costs the client the same to book a trip through an outfitter directly as it costs to book through, through us. So there's really nothing to lose from, from that perspective. Um, and where we can sometimes save you money 
is um, is particularly when it comes to sort of a either a uh, cancellation discount or a last minute opportunity or something like that. So sometimes outfitters offer our clients special pricing or special perks, but more often it's suddenly they've got a, a cancellation. Somebody was supposed to do a, do a moose hunt in September and they just canceled. And now the outfitter comes to us and say, look, can you, can you use your network to fill this spot for me as soon as possible? And there's a significant discount involved for the client. So, uh, you know, if a client had just been out looking for a moose hunt, they probably wouldn't have found that. They wouldn't have got that discount. Whereas booking through us, we can sometimes save you you a pile of money. So it comes down to those three saves, I think. The save the time, save the worry, and sometimes uh, even save you money. That's, that's in a nutshell what, what we do. We do it every day. We, we do it pretty well. We've been doing it a long time, and we really, we really enjoy what we do. Don, that's a, a great introduction, and um, appreciate kind of giving both context to the history, but also... Um, you know, kind of giving the listeners an idea of what services you guys can provide just to kind of go back on the history. So you said that you guys are based out of Wyoming, but you're actually in Canada. So maybe you could explain a little bit kind of how organizationally you guys are structured and how that's set up. Yeah. So, um, our, our founder, his name is Butch Manassi. He started the company 20 plus years ago and, uh, he was actually a lawyer by trade and, uh, uh, in uh, Connecticut, I believe it was. And uh, he got tired of doing that after a while. And, and he was a big, big outdoorsman, still is. Said, uh, you know, he's hunted and fished around the world. And um, he decided he and his, he and his wife uh, got out of the, the legal game and decided to move out west where the, the hunting and fishing is better and uh, quickly realized that he, he wanted something more than just doing these trips for himself. He he wanted to be uh, involved in the industry in some capacity, and one thing led to another, and he started he started this firm 20-plus years ago in Cheyenne. Over that time, um, we've experienced tremendous growth, uh, so the firm has grown, and eventually we, uh, we opened an office in Florida, as I mentioned, another one in Missouri, and... You know, we offer so many so many trips in Canada that they decided a few years back that uh, having someone in Canada, an office in Canada, made some sense. So we uh, we opened that office, and that's that's where I'm located. So, but we we don't uh, we don't differentiate at all when it comes to geography uh, in terms of those offices. So all of those offices uh, deal with clients from around the world and outfitters from around the world. So it really is inconsequential where that office or agent is located. We're all fully versed on all of the trips that we offer and deal with literally clients from four corners of the globe. So, uh, so structurally, it's, it's just sort of where, where we happen to be, but it doesn't really impact uh, clients uh, at all in that regard. So, yeah. uh, so kind of build on your comment about, you know, a lot of times, um, Perspective clients like to go to the trade shows. You talked about that. So SCI, Dallas Safari, um, you know, Sheep Show, all the different shows this year that have, have basically been canceling on virtual. So this really plays into your guys's playbook a little bit based on that because people can't be there. But let's say I'm a prospective client and maybe you can walk me through the process. Um, I've been to Africa, but let's say I want to go to Africa, never been. And you're right. Go Google African safaris. It's very overwhelming. 
how do you guys work through with a prospective client and really, because you talked about you try to meet their needs and what they're looking for, but I'm sure you guys have multiple African outfitters that you provide. How does that process work when someone comes to you kind of looking for that type of hunt? Yeah, uh, so uh, we build in a certain amount of redundancy in some of the places where we offer trips, and and South Africa is is one of those. Uh, so as much as we are always on the lookout for new outfits, new operations, things that are different, unique, whatever, uh, you know, the reality is we, we work with probably a dozen different outfitters in South Africa, and there's absolutely some overlap in terms of what they offer and where they offer it. So it's not that they're all completely distinct and unique, but we like to have a little bit of redundancy in some cases because sometimes availability isn't there. Sometimes a client says, look, it's got to be, you know, April of 2022. That's the only time I can go. And maybe ABC Outfitter has no availability at that time, but Outfitter DEF does. So, you know, that's, that, that helps in that regard. But, you know, what we'll do is we'll, we'll talk to the client and say, okay, so have you hunted before? No? All right. What, what's on your wish list? What are the species that you absolutely are looking to target? And what sort of, um, you know, maybe secondary would be nice. Of course, South Africa is one of those countries where in, in Africa where uh, the overwhelming majority of the, of the hunting there is on a high fence game ranches, estates, hunting estates. And not everybody necessarily realizes that. And uh, some that do would, uh, would prefer not to, to hunt someplace that is a, a fenced ranch regardless of the size they're all almost all are very very large and the the fencing really doesn't impact the hunt but there are some people who just prefer not to do that and and maybe they want to go strictly free range well that narrows things down tremendously because there's very few we we do work with a terrific one but the point is that'll narrow things down if that doesn't narrow things down uh certainly the the uh the timing of when somebody might want to go how many people perhaps in their party what species they are interested in and then oftentimes budget Oftentimes, budget is the big one. Someone says, look, you know, I'd really like to get uh, this and this and this, but, uh, I, you know, I've got, a, I've got a, you know, a couple kids in college. I just can't afford a $10,000 trip. This has to be, you know, 5000 all in. And, uh, you know, what can you do? What can, what, what's the best deal you can find me? I don't, I don't care where it is in South Africa, but these are the critters I want, and here's my budget make it happen. So that's when we start sort of going sort of reverse engineering things a little bit and, and starting with the, the outfitters uh, in terms of what can you offer? What can you offer within a certain budget at a certain time frame uh, for, for this party of two or this party of four? So there's different ways to approach it, different ways to skin the cat, so to speak. But it, it, the more we talk to the client, the more we get to understand their priorities their, their needs, their desires, uh, requirements. And, and that just does start to quickly narrow down the options. In the end, there may only be two or three outfitters that are going to possibly fill, fill, you know, fit the bill in terms of what the client is looking for. And we'll reach out to all of them and say, okay, you know, do you have availability during this time? Maybe the first one doesn't, but the, the second and third ones do. So now the, out, the client's got an option of a couple different outfitters to choose from. We have a, a detailed 
uh, we call it a write-up, but it's essentially a marketing document about all the various trips we offer, you know, 10, 12 pages with descriptions and photos and all sorts of details about travel and, of course, pricing, seasons, trophy quality, accommodations, all this kind of good information. So the client will have the, the, uh, the ability to compare sort of side-by-side side the information on two or three different outfits and ultimately make the decision which is the one they they like the best looks the best sounds the best and they they think they feel that you know it offers them what they're looking for so uh, we can quickly you know i mentioned before it may take you hours days weeks months to do all this research for yourself you can literally call us up and in a matter of minutes we can cut through the, the, all that time it would take you to do it on your own. And if you want, in a matter of one phone call, we could have that trip, that trip booked for you rather than spending, you know, some people enjoy the process. Don't get me wrong. Some people really, you know, the, the planning and the research and all of that is part of the, part of the thrill for people to, to plan a trip of this magnitude. But others say, look, I, I've, I've, got, I've got the money, but I don't have the time. I, I need you to, to help me. This is what I want. Find me what you're looking for. And, and we absolutely have clients like that, that that call us up every year or two or three times a year even and say, all right, what's, what's the next trip we're, we're going to take? Here's what I'm thinking. What have you got to offer? So our clients come in all sort of shapes and sizes in terms of what they're looking for and their backgrounds and their budgets. And we can work with just about all of them. Yeah, and I think that that's, important that you guys can kind of meet people, you know, at some point and everyone's journey is different, right? You got people, like you said, that are just starting out, um, maybe more on a budget and maybe from a time constraint standpoint. And then you've probably got people that could have, you know, a half a million dollar budget a year that they're spending on hunts. And you guys, you know, are, have really become, you know, probably, you know, lifetime clients with them because you're really setting up schedules for them in certain years. So I can definitely see, you know, the benefit and the value, uh, in using, um, a system like this now to kind of transition back a little bit. So, um, we've talked heavily about like South Africa, right. And in which you said, you guys have multiple outfitters that you use in South Africa for multiple options for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, right now, when you look at, um, you know, international traveling, that, that, that's a struggle in some places, right. Trying to get to New Zealand where you got to do a mandatory government quarantine and pay to be quarantined. South Africa is now back on the list of non-travel. So I guess the, my question would be is, have you guys seen um, a little bit of that impact um, over a course of the last year? And But has that spawned more of a domestic United States um, clientele book of folks where you're seeing more bookings maybe you know domestically than you have internationally? Absolutely, Lucas. It has been uh, unprecedented, frankly, the demand for uh, for you know, continental United States and even, even, uh, Alaska. We sent a lot of folks to Alaska this summer on fishing trips, but it, yeah, I mean, just about, uh, it's it subsided a little bit now because people have already sort of made a lot of the plans, but going back to sort of the, the summer, basically, I mean, we would daily get multiple calls from people saying, look, I was supposed to do a, a sheep hunt in Canada or, or, uh, you know, I was supposed to be going to Africa in, in the fall and, and it's off. So, uh, what have you got? What can you offer me in terms of a, a Midwest whitetail hunt or a Western elk hunt or mule deer hunt or, or something? 
And so as a result, the demand for those, those trips went through the roof for 2020. And it wasn't long before everything that was still available for 2020 uh, was, was filled. Um, and then there was overflow to 2021. And of course, there were already hunts on the books for 21 before, you know, all of that uh, sudden in, influx or, or uh, sort of uptick in, in bookings for 21, but also trips from 20 that got rolled to 21. So suddenly 21 became very, very tight. And here we are sort of late January and uh, elk hunts in particular, you know, that's our bread and butter. We probably sell more elk hunts than anything else. We've got very, very little left for, for this fall anywhere because uh, of the, the, the big surge in demand for trips that people knew they could take or were pretty sure they could take at least versus ones that were already booked and postponed or uncertain. And, of course, it's, it's, it's Canada, it's Africa, it's South America, Argentina particularly. You know, we've got we, the, the whole spring uh, red stag season in, in, uh, in 2020 in Argentina got wiped out. Not sure whether 21 is going to happen. Um, so the, the impact of this is going to be felt well beyond 21, into 22, maybe even 23. And that's if we don't really see too much more disruption in 21. And we don't, we can't guarantee that, uh, you know, where spring is just around the corner and, you know, the Canadian outfitters, when it comes to spring bear, they, they lost their whole 20 season uh, as a result of COVID. And at the time, nobody would have, I don't think, nobody would have envisioned that 21 could be in jeopardy. And yet here we are, it's really just around the corner. And at this point, it's very, very uncertain uh, that there'll be a 21 spring uh, spring season in Canada for bear. Uh, in fact, you know, I, I think a lot of outfitters in Canada are now more crossing their fingers for summer season, whether it's fishing June, July, August, or, uh, you know, the early hunts in August for sheep and caribou, et cetera. I think, I think a lot of them have already shifted focus to that and, and kind of written off the spring, uh, the spring bear season. So absolutely that's driving demand and overflows, you know, spillover of demand to just about anything we can offer in the lower 48. Yeah. And to kind of also touch back. So, you know, you, you talked about elk hunts, you guys do a ton of elk hunts and, uh, you know, tis the season, right? It's January. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a points guy. So I've been applying 15, 20 years in a lot of States. So, right. You know, Wyoming's hitting Arizona hits next month. So I would assume that you guys, you talked about working with clients and points. Is that something else or a service that you guys provide and help people with ensuring, okay, I'm going into Wyoming this year with 15 points, right? I'm different than the guy who's coming in. That's got five points. Would you handle those clients differently based on that? Yeah, so uh, so one of the things we do in terms of marketing is, uh, I, I think you mentioned it earlier, is we put out a weekly email newsletter. It goes out every Tuesday morning by, by email. And in that, we always feature a nice selection of different trips, all varieties from around the world. But we're also very uh, seasonally oriented when it comes to that. So the last several weeks, you know, going back into November, even December, 
We've been pushing heavily the Wyoming trips, reminding people that the deadline for applying for, for elk in Wyoming is end of January. So, so we've been sort of pushing that uh, pretty strongly for some time now. It, it appears sort of as a header in, in our newsletters leading up to those deadlines, reminding people. But then we also make sure that we're, we're offering something. So we, um, I just recently personally posted uh, uh, a trip that is uh, exactly for a guy with max elk, elk points in Wyoming because our clients run the spectrum from no points, don't, didn't even know there was such a thing as preference points, all the way up to max preference points and everything in between. So we, we do, you know, one week we may offer a trip that takes, you know, it's a general tag in Wyoming that just takes two points to draw. And the next time we're featuring one that takes max points. So, so, um, so we're all, we do have something to offer all the way, all the way through that. We do remind people sort of, uh, sort of generically about these upcoming deadlines. But then once somebody has booked a trip, then whether it's the outfitter themselves or through us, we, we make sure that they're aware of the deadline that they, they've got to, in terms of filing their application. We make sure they understand what tag it is that they're applying for, what unit, what type of tag, what unit. We make sure that, that they don't miss those kinds of deadlines. And then preference points when the, you know, July 1st comes around and the season for purchasing preference points in Wyoming, for instance, again, we put out something to clients reminding them. And, and it, you know, we, we have a number of clients who routinely will purchase, uh, for instance, Wyoming elk, deer, antelope, a point for each every year, even when they don't have any particular specific plans to do a hunt for one of those species in the you know, upcoming future. And I was actually a sort of a classic example of that a couple of years ago. I had um, just, just started collecting points in Wyoming. I purchased my first preference point the year before. And around this time in January, this is going back a few years now, one of our terrific outfitters in Northwest Wyoming, just outside of uh, Yellowstone in the, in the thoroughfare wilderness area had a, had a cancellation. And um, they even offered a discount on the hunt, but the catch was that it you know it took a preference point to draw. Fortunately, I I had a preference point in my pocket. I hadn't had any plans for it when I purchased it, but it was there. I was able to take advantage of that opportunity, took it, drew the tag, went on the hunt, and had one one terrific time. So preference points are a big deal for, for the West. It's sort of the, the way of the world out there these days. So we, we do encourage people to make sure they're, they're putting in for anything that may even down the road interest them. Uh, but yes, we, we definitely make sure people understand those upcoming deadlines. And then once they've booked, we, we ensure that either directly with the outfitter or through us, they don't miss any deadlines sure. and they apply for things on time yeah. and, and correctly. Well, and when you think about preference points, I mean, you know, like I said, I, there's a lot invested when you start talking about a license every year you buy, you know, a, a, a preference point for sheep in Wyoming. If you don't apply in the draw, which you'd be crazy not to apply in the draw, but you should always apply for sheep. But if you only buy a preference point, you know, 250 bucks, whatever that is, it's a lot of money people get tied up in points. And when you think about it, you're a guy that's got max 
in, you know, Arizona for deer, um, you probably want to find, you know, someone that you trust and you want to go with, right? Because you've been putting all that time and money in. And obviously, you guys would offer services of different outfitters that are established, that are credible, um, to where you're not sending someone who's, again, spent 25 years spending $150 a year buying a license, you know, you know, $4,000 later, and they finally draw this tag. Um, you know, it's important that they have good resources and places to go to utilize um, those preference points when they use them. So, uh, occasionally, we actually get people call us up who've who've drawn uh, a coveted tag, whatever description in whatever jurisdiction. Uh, perhaps they didn't actually think they were going to draw. Maybe it was a bit of a, a bit of a shock, uh, and as a result, they hadn't really made any plans they don't really have a plan for where they're going to go where how you know who they're going to hunt with if they're going to use a guide or an outfitter and they're calling us up sort of after the fact after they've drawn and are potentially risking wasting this tag that that that's really really hard to draw because they hadn't really figured out what they were going to do once they drew and that's definitely not what we would advise we we always suggest the other way around, you know, having the plan for what you want to do first, then start applying so that once you know, once you draw, the rest is already in place. It's just a matter of finalizing the details, the dates, whatever, but as opposed to just scrambling at the last minute, once the tag is in hand and, and, you know, as I said, risking, wasting it because you don't really know what you're going to do with it now that, and, and, you know, this, this is something that sometimes uh, the whole sort of points thing and, in Wyoming is a good example. Some people, some people assume that a tag that is easy to draw, say antelope, for instance. Well, this tag is very easy to draw. Well, that that must mean that the the hunting isn't very good there. Conversely, this other tag in another area is very difficult to draw. So it must be a crackerjack of a hunt. Really, really good good hunt. That's why it's so difficult to draw. And the reality is that's not necessarily the case. And antelope is, is real, maybe the best example of that. Sometimes the reason why a particular tag is, um, is easy to draw is because it's all private land. There's really no access, no public land available in a particular area. So unless you know somebody who owns land there or have access to it, or you go through an outfitter, you really don't have any any hope of being able to hunt that area, even if you draw the tag. And as a result, not very many people apply. And as a result, it's easy to draw. Conversely, you could have another area that has quite a bit of public land. And because there's lots of public land, there is a lot of people applying. And because there's so many people applying, the tag can be more difficult to draw. But again, does that mean it's a better hunt? I don't know. Personally, I think I'd rather be hunting in an area that's all private land with hardly anybody hunting it versus an area that's got quite a bit of public land but just tons of hunters out there. I, you know, I, think, I think I know which one probably is going to be the better hunt, but it's not, it's not indicative of the number of points required to draw the tag. So, uh, so points are you know, not always the, uh, the, the bellwether in terms of what, what, uh, what the area or the hunt is like. But again, that's what a good agent can help you with, help you navigate some of that and understand some of the intricacies of the point system and you know, whether it's a group or uh, you know, uh, first choice, second choice, third choice, these kinds of things that, that uh, can get a little bit complicated in some jurisdictions 
uh, we can help with that. Yeah. And I want to speak back to, you know, you said, so if someone, you know, is interested in a hunt and I'll use my example because, you know, a lot of stuff that I've had planned has been postponed and canceled too. So I was looking at, um, trying to look at maybe getting my brother and I like a good spring bear hunt somewhere. Um, and you know, synonymous with everything going on in California right now around bears, we can't hunt bears in the spring here, but, um, and I've hunted bears and I, and I've shot a bear, but, um, he's never hunted a bear and he's never killed anything with his bow. I thought what better hunt to do than maybe get him in a a stand or maybe we'll find a good spot and stock opportunity in Idaho. Well, I saw something cross my email from, from hunt nation regarding a, a good wilderness, uh, you know, hunt in, in Idaho. So, I reached out and I think that's when I got Ed and Ed sent me some information uh, and again, sent me the outfitters information It had photos, it had successes, um, you know, the success rate. It had basically all the information on wilderness hunt. Here's what you're going to do. Here's your itinerary. Um, Very detailed, very well thought out um, and also provided me with the information that I was looking for, right? That I knew, hey, you want to shoot two bears, pretty high probability you will. And oh, by the way, there's potential to shoot a wolf too. And so it was cool getting that packet of information and uh just from my perspective as being you know someone looking for you know a hunt because i if it were me i would just basically go buy a tag and i would show up in idaho and i'd go hunt but this is a different scenario for my brother and um so anyway it was neat having that and uh so i don't know if there's anything you can elaborate on based on on that and and kind of how that that process works well, you, you've reminded me of, uh, and I, you know, I hate to go keep coming back to elk, but it, it is sort of one of the one of the most popular hunts we sell. Um, you know, most of the hunts we sell are guided hunts, fully guided hunts, outfitted hunts, but we also sell a few that are DIY elk hunts, drop camp elk hunts, self guided elk hunts, and as you might expect, um, those hunts are sort of half or less the price of a fully guided hunt. So as a result, they uh, they, they can be initially quite attractive to people because of, because of the price, and and we get a we get a number of inquiries about those. And um, but again, it's not something that unless you're talking to someone very familiar with it, you may not understand some of the finer points of this kind of hunt. And to be honest, I actually uh, I, I discourage that kind of hunt for somebody. For, for anybody other than a very experienced elk hunter. Because here's the, here's the reality on a sort of a drop camp wilderness type elk hunt. They're going to pack you in by horseback to a remote tent camp in the middle of nowhere. They're going to drop you off. You know, you've, you've never been there in your life. It'll take you a day or two probably to figure out, you know, what direction is up. Maybe another day or two to figure out maybe where the elk are. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of bad weather that, uh, you know, slows you down as well. And just when you sort of start getting rolling, guess what? The week is over. They're coming to get you and your, your trip is done. And the reality is the, the success rates on self-guided hunts of just about any description are never going to be close to what they are for a fully guided hunt. And, you know, now some people will say to me, well, Okay, that's probably true for the first year of such a hunt, but we would come back again the second year or the third year or the fourth year, and I'd say, okay, well, that's, that's a different story. You know, now the, uh, the learning curve isn't going to be as steep. Now you're going to have some familiarity with the area. Now, you know, chances are going to, your odds are going to go up. But if it's about the money, which it is for a lot of people, well, now you've, 
you've spent that same money two or three times over. So when it comes down to money, and that's sort of the motivating factor, I really try encourage try to encourage people to look at it differently and say, you know, rather than sort of taking your lumps the, the way you most likely are the first year, and then who knows what happens after that, I think you're better off to save your money and and maybe for another year or two even and do it do it right. Do a guided trip. Do an outfitted trip where your chances of success or or even just seeing some elk are are that much that much greater. To give you an example, I had a I had a group contact me a little while ago. They, they were all sort of young guys, all pretty fit and and you know eager, and uh, they were from out east, and they. You know, they'd been hunting whitetails all their life, but never, never even seen an elk in, in the flesh. And they decided that they were going to, they, they thought they'd want to do a, a self-guided drop camp elk hunt. And their thinking was that they'd maybe do, do those for two or three years and then work their way up to a guided hunt at some point. And I actually suggested the opposite approach. I said, well, why don't you start with a guided hunt? Because you can learn a lot about elk and elk hunting from a, good elk guide whether it's calling or where the elk hang out or what to do with it once you've got it on the ground you know all these things that that you know you do you do one or two of those and you're going to be so much better off when you find when you decide to do it on your own and branch off on on your you'll have that much knowledge and experience under your belt so um certain certain diy trips you know we have a great diy uh, antelope hunt in Wyoming. We have a great DIY caribou hunt in Alaska. Uh, but outside of that, most of the trips we offer are, are are fully guided, outfitted trips, and and there's a reason for that. You you know you you pay for. I'll give you another example. First time I hunted Wyoming, I was on an antelope hunt. It was a guided antelope hunt. It was long before I became a booking agent. Literally the first antelope I ever laid eyeballs on. My, I had just gotten off the plane that afternoon. My hunt wasn't actually going to technically start till the next morning. My guide grabs me and off we go. Literally the first antelope that, that I saw in the flesh was a 16-plus-inch buck. But because it was the first one I ever saw, and I didn't want my hunt to end that quickly. This was my vacation back then, and my hunt hadn't even started yet, and it was potentially going to be over before it began. I didn't want to shoot this antelope. My guide had to twist my arm to shoot this antelope because he knew what we were looking at. I had no idea what we were looking at because what do I know? I'm a, I'm a kid from Canada who just got off a plane two hours ago. And, you know, I felt foolish later on because he did have to twist my arm to shoot that dandy antelope. And it took a couple of days of driving around and seeing lots of other antelope before I really appreciated and realized that they're not all this big. And, and then I felt foolish. But then I realized, yeah, but this is part of what you pay a guide, an outfitter for, that local knowledge to be able to say, you know what, I think we can do better. Let's keep looking versus, you know what, that is a dandy. We got to go after him right now. Let, let's hurry up. And, it, you know, time is money. You, you're, you know, you're paying an outfitter, you're paying a guide for a lot of time and work that's been put in long before you got there that you'll never see. Uh, and yet that all is part of the price of a, of a fully guided hunt. So it comes down to value. So whether it's a, uh, a bear hunt, an antelope hunt, an elk hunt, there is a big difference between God. Now, you know, if a guy say to me, look, we, we realize all that. We know that, you know, odds are not really on our side when it's DIY, 
but you know, we just like to do it ourselves. We sink or swim. We, we just, we, we know what it's like. We know we've done it before, but we just really want to, to succeed or fail on our own. Hey, I, I, I can, I can respect that. I understand that. That's a whole different story. But when it's, when it's about money, when money is the motivating reason why somebody is looking DIY versus uh, a guided hunt, that's when I usually try and uh, try and sort of explain the realities of it and maybe maybe steer them in a different direction. Sure. No, that's a great explanation to um, probably a little bit more of a complicated question to a newer hunter. I mean, to someone who's been hunting a long time, um, you know, that's probably a different philosophy. But to your point, getting off a plane, never hunted, you know, antelope before, and you see the first buck, and it's an 80-inch buck, and he's telling you to shoot it, you know, you don't know the difference. That's, that's where you that's where the advantage is with having the outfitter because that's what they do, right? They look over animals every day long. They know exactly what's there. Stuff comes in and out, but they, you, you know, it. they're outfield judging and they're looking at the animals and, and you're right. And, and for someone to go do a DIY, it could take them 10 to 15 days to do that hunt. Whereas if you book a five to seven day hunt, you're in, you're out, you're done. You've had your experience uh, and you're back to work, which potentially, you know, like you said, time is money and, and is important as well. Absolutely. So, um, Absolutely. Don, this has been a, a great conversation. I guess one last question I would ask, uh, is sure. so, you know, so I get, I get, uh, you know, emails from hunt nation. I get emails from a lot of different, um, of these types of organizations. I guess what, what do you feel sets hunt nation apart maybe from some of your competitors or some of the other, um, organizations out there that do things very similar? Well, you know, I, I, I'm certainly not going to suggest that that uh, we're the only uh, we're the only game in town, or that there are aren't other quality quality outfits out there because there are. Um, but I, I think a couple of things. One is um, this is this is what we all do for a living. This isn't just something we do on the side, uh, you know, because our day job is is something else. This is this is what we do. We spend a lot of time. Uh, becoming familiar with with what we offer and and our outfitters and our clients and making sure that we're we're doing the best matchmaking we we possibly can. So this this is what we do. Second, um, you know, it doesn't cost you anything, and, and and that's not always the case. I know some some other agencies they do charge some fees for this or that, and and we don't. It it really you know doesn't cost you any more to book through us uh, versus booking directly. Uh, and and third, you know, we we have a great selection of trips to offer. There's really nothing that I can think of as, in terms of a major hole in our in our roster in our portfolio of outfitters and trips offered by those outfitters. Like just about anything that somebody uh, is looking for, we can you know. Whereas some some places might be really more focused on. Asia or Africa or, or North America, whatever the case may be, we, we truly are global. Uh, we, you know, Antarctica aside, we, we offer trips on, on every continent. Um, so between sort of the, the, the experience we have, the one-stop shopping, the no cost to you and, and uh, sort of the expertise that we offer, because this is what we do and have been doing successfully for a long time with a good reputation, I, I think that's, you know, that's uh, where our bread is buttered, so to speak. That's, that's, uh, that's what we offer and that's what we're proud of. We've, 
we've been successful in a diff, you know, sort of a tough industry for a long time uh, by doing things a certain way, essentially telling it like it is. And we're going to continue to do things that way. Yeah. Well, I think to your point, you know, a bit of a family business and also um, longevity, 20 years in the industry. You guys have been to a lot of these places. You've been to that yeah. in Midwest, you know, Ohio whitetail, um, you know, 2000 acre plot where, you know, you shoot good deer. So it's probably easier for you to market this stuff being there. And like you said, somewhat being a smaller, uh, but, you know, been in business for 20 years. Not a lot of people have been, you know, being, you know, booking hunts for 20 years. I think, you know, that definitely sets you guys apart from a lot of the other competition as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's been some have come and gone in that time span. So, uh, you know, you're probably doing something right if you can, uh, yeah. can be around and, and not just survive, but, but flourish. We, we, and we continue to, to grow and expand and be, uh, be very, very busy. Yeah. So, for sure. Uh, so yeah, we, we think we must be doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, maybe just a little selfish plug on my part, but I, I, I do get a lot of questions coming through the platform regarding Canada being that I've, I've kind of got you captive here and that you're, yeah. you're on, you're on here with us. Um, so I, I had a stone sheep hunt scheduled for last year, like you and I had talked about and, and obviously was postponed, uh, because I couldn't get into Canada. And so again, looking at trying to rebook, like you were talking about, you had guys with hunts on the books on 20, got rolled over to 21. Some guys that had them on 21, potentially having to roll them over into 22 yep. and ones in 20, they yep. may have to roll into 22. So yep. wh- what is the outlook being there in Canada? Wh- what are you guys hearing? What are you guys seeing about potential for, for nationals like us to be able to travel into Canada potentially, um, this fall to do hunts? Well, that, that is the, that is a $64,000 question. And people seem to, people, people, when they find out I'm Canadian figure, I must have some, some yeah, you got the answer, right? This, but I really, really don't No, Nobody does. I, I can tell you, this is what I can tell you. I mean, officially, as we sit here today, the border is still closed until 21st of February, but that doesn't really mean anything because they just keep extending that date by another 30 days, another 30 days. I mean, it's been rolled, I don't know how many times now already. Um, you know, the reality is that parts of Canada are definitely struggling right now, including where I am in Ontario, uh, with COVID. Uh, numbers are, are very high in some places and, and uh, you know, not really improving. Uh, the rollout of the vaccine is uh, so far very, very slow, uh, quite a bit slower than the United States. So, um, so those things are certainly not uh, encouraging. Um, any jurisdiction, I think, whether it's Argentina, South Africa, Canada, any jurisdiction that's sort of presently closed or heavily, heavily restricted to, to travelers uh, is not only going to look at their domestic situation vis-a-vis COVID, but they're also going to look at where tra- you know, the situation in the countries where travelers are going to be coming from when deciding, you know, what to do or not to do uh, in this regard. Uh, you know, you'd, you'd hope that, um, uh, that eventually, uh, as numbers start to improve and as the vaccine is more widely distributed, that these restrictions start to be relaxed, maybe replaced by, uh, ne- you know, proof of negative COVID test or proof of vaccination. These are the requirements now for, for coming into a country. And, and that's already sort of in place in a, in a number of different places. But uh, so far, not, not in Canada. 
Um, you know, as I sort of alluded to before, I think most outfitters are not optimistic about spring at all. Um, there may be 50-50 on the summer, June, July, August, for fishing or hunting, um, and more just sort of banking on the fall, sort of September onward, hoping that moose and deer and bear can happen uh, September, October, November, but, you know, without, without knowing for sure. And then when you, when you talk about some of these uh, more remote areas, whether it's, a, you know, a sheep hunt in northern British Columbia or maybe, a, a, you know, a moose hunt in the Yukon, for instance, you know, these areas are, you know, often native communities, very remote, very isolated, very uh, vulnerable to to any sort of an outbreak so these communities in some cases alaska did the same thing this summer will impose their own sort of regional restrictions on entry into that area so regardless of a a state or provincial or federal regulation they can say well look that's fine for getting into the country but if you want to fly into our little community we've got our own rules in terms of what you have to do or can't do so it's it's still very very uncertain, and um, uh, you know a lot of outfitters are uh, uh, you know sort of just completely uh, about all they can do is just take a wait and see approach, and and uh, it's funny because some Canadians say to me, Canadian clients, well you know is there well, what about me? Well maybe I can do that that sheep hunt in BC or that uh, you know moose hunt in Alberta if if again, the border is close to, to Americans. Well, maybe there's great opportunity there for other Canadians. The reality is the outfitters are going, well, maybe, but maybe not because we've got all these, these spots that are already spoken for from people who'd already booked 21 or got rolled from 2020. We can't really commit to any new bookings, Canadian or otherwise, until we know whether we're going to be able to satisfy what's already on our books for, you know, last year and this year. So, it is it is causing a whole lot of consternation and and uh, hair pulling amongst outfitters and uh, unfortunately there's just uh, there's just nothing terribly encouraging on the horizon just yet to to say well that's when things are going to change that that that's when it's going to improve it, it just seems to be so slow in every regard that. Uh, I mean, let's put it this way. I don't know as much as you'd like to say, well, yeah, surely by August or September or whatever. Well, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. On the other hand, you know, this time last year, would we have thought we'd be here in January of 21 and sort of be where we are? Well, maybe not this time last year, but in March of last year, would we have thought come January, we're still going to be where we are? Probably not. Probably a lot of us would have said, no, this, this will have subsided by then. And yet here we are. So it is still very, very much un- uncertain. I, I definitely would not uh, sort of want to give anybody the impression that uh, a trip booked for uh, for twenty twenty one in Canada is a certainty because uh, that would be uh, irresponsible. Irresponsible of me to say that when when no one can say that with any certainty. Nobody. Yeah. And I think that that's good insight, right? I mean, because I know there's a handful of people I know that had, um, you know, Canadian hunts booked, the Yukon, like he said, um, Alberta, British Columbia, and all kind of in the same boat, right? There's kind of this just band of folks that were kind of yeah. bouncing 
emails, text messages off, talking to outfitters that we know. What are you guys hearing? What are you guys seeing? And and uh, just trying to stay obviously optimistic. But you know, like to your point, I mean, I was supposed to 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 fly into to Whitehorse and then come back down into Northern BC. Well. Like you say, a lot of natives there, they have their own requirements. Would I have had to quarantine in Whitehorse for 14 days, then get into BC? I mean, there were so many logistical things that were so much uncertainty that, you know, we just, we had to pull the plug and, and we couldn't get there. And, and it was the right decision to make because the last thing I would want to be is stuck in Canada, right? Where I couldn't get back into the States and and if it wasn't for family or medical reasons, I wouldn't be able to get back, right? So just didn't take that risk, but definitely, uh, you know, I'm trying to stay optimistic. I think, you know, a lot of folks that are in the same boat are trying to stay optimistic. Clearly the Canadian outfitters want to be optimistic. This is their livelihood, right? This is, this is their super bowl for the four months out of the year is getting, you know, people there to do these hunts. So, um, hopefully, um, you know, like you say with, with maybe the vaccine and, and, uh, maybe having some type of testing protocol, rapid testing, 72 hour, we can get through this and, and, uh, you know, do it, you know, both ethically, but also safely where we're, we're doing it in, you know, in, in least with the respect to the people in mind. So. Yeah. And I, I particularly feel bad for the outfitters in places like Canada, like, um, like Argentina, because their season is so short. They've got a very small window to, in a lot of cases, make their the bulk of their living for an entire year within a very short span of time. When, when you contrast that with places like, you know, some countries in Africa, South Africa in particular, you know, we have an outfitter, a great one we work with in South Africa, that um, they, they're, they're blessed to be able to hunt basically year-round. Now, they too have had basically nobody for the better part of a year. But, but the point is, if, if, you know, if, if they do get sort of torpedoed for a block of their year, they still have an opportunity to try and recover that later on. Whereas Canada and Argentina and other places, if it's gone this year, it, there's no chance till next year. So it is, it is really very disappointing to, to everybody if that happens. And, uh, and by the way, you mentioned British Columbia. Uh, you know, British Columbia is, has also been one of the most um, strict, probably the strictest province in Canada when it came to their own particular rules uh, provincially. So, uh, so I mentioned, you know, you've got sort of the communities that may have their own restrictions and, of course, federally with the national border being closed. But then you also have to layer in another, uh, you know, provincially. They're, they're flying in and out of a particular province. It could be could be problematic. So, uh, and of course, the airlines are a whole other story because they have had no choice but to um, slash uh, routes to to all these various destinations because the demand has just complete. You know, the bottom has fallen out from the dem- of the demand. So they're they're eliminating these flights, and you would hope and believe that once the restrictions are at least eased, the demand will suddenly resume. And then those flights will again be offered, but again, no, no guarantee of that. Uh, we, we, uh, you know, I've certainly heard stories about uh, people just within the, you know, domestic you know, lower forty-eight United States uh, wanting to book a trip maybe to Texas or Florida, and initially being quite surprised at the number of uh, available flights 
and then they pick one, you know, the cheapest one or best time or whatever. But then as the flight date uh, gets closer, suddenly there's changes. The flight is canceled or rerouted or changed and changed some, some way. And that is all because the airlines are trying to sort of accommodate a sharp decrease in demand for these flights. And rather than planes taking off with, you know, 25%, uh, you know, capacity, uh, they'll cancel that flight and try and, you know, put people onto a different flight. So the, the, it's not just outfitters, it's, it's airlines as well that uh, are in complete turmoil right now. So as we said before, that's just driven more and more demand for, for destinations, for hunting, hunting and fishing trips that people can, you know, get to lower 48 and be drive to. I don't have to fly. I don't have to deal with the potential and the risk. I'll just drive. Okay, that's the kind of trip I want. So we sure hope that the uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel here, but uh, but it does seem to be a little ways off just yet. Yeah. Well, I think I've always kind of said where there's challenges like that, you know, exposes opportunities. And to your point, oh, yeah. right, I mean, if you can't go do certain hunts there, there's some incredible opportunities in the lower 48. There's still places in, in Asia, in Ibex hunting, in Turkey, and places you can go do that stuff. You can get flights. Yeah. I mean, there are opportunities still out there, uh, and some of them are pretty reasonable because, you know, outfitters are looking to get people exactly. booked. So. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, for sure. For well, sure. good. Um, Don, I really appreciate having you on the show today. Um, just, you know, for me, uh, understanding a little bit better about Hunt Nation and, and what you guys offer. Again, I've been signed up and seen your emails for years. Uh, and uh, again, kind of perked my interest when I sent the note over to look at that spring sure. bear hunt with my brother and got a, just a, a full portfolio of information and, and then kind of spawned into us collaborating and, and doing a podcast. So really appreciate having you on. If someone was to want to book a hunt, Look at your information. I mean, what's the best way for someone to, to maybe get a hold of you guys or find you guys? So we have a website, uh, www.hunt-nation.com. A lot of good information on there. Uh, many of the trips we offer are at least some of the, the information about them is accessible on there. Um, we, as as the individual agents, have have more information that we can we can then send people um, I definitely encourage everybody to sign up for our our newsletter so they can get that weekly uh, email blast that, as I mentioned before, ad, you know, sort of showcases a nice selection of different trips around the world. But it also will, will front and center feature anything that's a last-minute cancellation or some other type of discount. So that's the kind of thing that, you know, typically it's it's very limited supply, and we'll go very quickly. So it's important to uh, anyone who's you know interested potentially in that kind of trip, who has the flexibility in their schedule to take trips on short notice, definitely you know you would want to sign up for that and look at those emails as soon as they come in. And if you see something that you like, call us right away or email us right away because the good ones with good discounts will go quickly, as you might imagine. Uh, I can I can certainly be be reached personally. Uh, my email is dawn at hunt-nation.com, or you can give me a call at 416-988-1562. We're happy to help you out with, uh, as I said, or any of the very you know, thousands of different hunting or fishing trips that we offer. So we're, we're out there. We're, we're pretty easy to reach. Cool. Well, once again, thanks, Dawn. Appreciate it. Um, 
you stay well and, and probably stay a little bit warm up there in, in Canada. And we're going to try to stay dry. It's always the first world problems, right? If it's not freezing cold, it's raining or something else. But Keep, keep your powder dry. Keep yeah, your powder dry. Exactly. Well, again, thanks. Take care. I appreciate having you on. And, uh, yep, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Lucas. Really enjoyed it. Hey everyone, this is Lucas Paw, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to the podcast app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or use our website www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Facebook, RNA Outdoors, and Instagram, Rod and Arrow Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, and get involved with conservation efforts. And know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, go farther, stay longer. <laughs>